Welcome, everyone. We're going to get started. The topic of this workshop is Step 2. My name is Jen, and I'm one of the leaders for this meeting. The other speaker is Cara from Rhode Island, and I'm Jen from Cambridge, Massachusetts. Hi, everyone. This session is being taped and will not be edited. Please note that this session might be available online or on a podcast feed. Anyone wishing to remain anonymous should use a fictitious name. Will someone please volunteer to be the timer? Thank you. And uh, what's your name? Almarie is going to be the timer, and uh, we'll ask you to give a signal when five minutes are remaining, and each of us is going to share for 20 minutes, and uh, then we will have time for three-minute pitches. Okay, so Kara is going to go first. If you can start the timer for 20 minutes when she starts, please. Thank you. So good morning, everyone. <clears throat> I am Kara, compulsive overeater, recovering bulimic, and sugar addict. And with those of you who wish to, please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. God's will, not mine, be done. I start off each qualification with that prayer to remind me that God's in charge. These are his words. He's speaking today, and I'm just the vehicle. Um, this workshop is on step two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. The disease of compulsive eating is cunning, baffling, and powerful. And I suffered from a hopeless condition of mind and body. So I feel very qualified to share on insanity and um, the loss of optimism in my life. Some of you know my story, but here is the Reader's Digest version. I was living a life of insanity. I had been obsessed with food choices for most of my life, obsessed with body image, for decades, and there was a constant chatter in my head about what I ate, how I looked, and I did some crazy things in pursuit of thinness. This compulsion and this disease took over my life. I used food to cope with everyday living. It was my anti-anxiety drug. I chose fatty, sugary, and high-carbohydrate foods to sustain me. I would eat well beyond the feeling of fullness. Then the pendulum would swing in the other direction, and I would restrict. I used drastic measures to lose weight. My favorite day of the week was Monday, because it seemed to usher in a new beginning of hope. But then that would be dashed by Friday, and then the absurdity of it all was that I truly thought that my own willpower would be enough to turn the Titanic around. I thought I could do it on my own. 
misguided thinking, poor food choices, and addiction. That was the insanity that ruled my life. Now, we've all heard the saying, insanity is doing the same thing repeatedly and expecting different results. So why? Why, after decades of yo-yo dieting, was I still chasing the myth that I could eat certain foods and that I could do this on my own? If you're sitting out there nodding your head, I'm glad you're here. Today, October 27, 2018, I celebrate 10 years of recovery and back-to-back abstinence, one day at a time. Thank you. That applause goes to my higher power. Um, And I, I only share that because a decade ago, I was obsessed with weight, with body image, I was addicted to sugar, and I lost hope that I would ever, ever have a peaceful relationship with food or my body. And 10 years ago, this very weekend, I arrived at my first convention with a tote bag full of candy. And between sessions, I'd sneak into the ladies' room, and I would stuff my face with the aforementioned contraband. And i joke about it. But this is a serious disease. This is a fatal disease. And I didn't know that it was killing me. No human power could have relieved me of the obsession and of the addiction. I was broken. I was damaged. I was beaten down by food. I got a sponsor during convention. And if you don't have a sponsor, I highly suggest that you get one. Keep in mind that this was days before Halloween, which in my mind was a high holy day. And again, I joke, but I say that in all seriousness because I made food my God. I worshipped food. I gave it power, and it is all I lived for, getting my fix. I was a junkie. I was powerless. And I was crazy enough to ask my sponsor if we could start this diet on November 1st. (laughs) Like I figured October 31st would be my last hurrah. OA is not a diet club. And she challenged my faulty reasoning and my habitual insanity in thinking that this would be the last hurrah. It seemed utterly impossible for me to give up sugar. I was mainlining it. She said to me, just for today, I could allow God to do what I couldn't do for myself. And she asked me, she said, do you believe that your higher power will keep you abstinent just until you go to bed tonight? And I said, nope. Nope. Can't do it. And she said, if you don't think your higher power will take care of you and keep you abstinent, mine will. 
Now, my problem wasn't that I didn't believe in a God, in a higher power. My problem, and I, I use the word God and I use the, um, the pronoun him merely for convenience, My problem was that I didn't trust that this power was awesome enough to care for me. That this God would restore me to a sound body and a sound mind. I came to believe, but I didn't always have hope. I was at war with God. And some of you might be too. My conflict was who was going to have the power? Me or God? And then at the deeper level, who was really going to have the power? The food or God? Clearly, I had the powerless part mastered. But I really was not sure that God would establish uh, sound judgment and stability, both in food choices and how I lived my life. I always say, I don't have just an eating disorder. I have a living disorder. And this program helped me with that, too. So here I was, truly hopeless, and it is no accident that this um, this step, step two, the principle that's associated with it is hope. And in my experience, when we truly grasp step two, we find hope. Until I acknowledged that God is fully equipped to be God in all his awesomeness, I would stay stuck in insanity forever. Likewise, as soon as I accepted that food or compulsive food behaviors did not have the same skill set as my higher power, then my life would begin to change. Then I found hope. So my sponsor gave me her higher power to borrow while I was getting reacquainted with my own. Slowly, I began to understand God's clout, his ability, his supremacy, his influence, and when I acknowledged this truth, I opened the way for God to respond. I acted as if. And I was blessed a decade ago with abstinence, one day at a time. And at, at last year's convention, during my keynote, I shared about um, caring for my uncle who was battling cancer, his uh, eventual passing, the loss of a job opportunity, other disappointments, just day-to-day -day life stuff. Since then, a year later, I've had my own health scare, stresses at work, a job layoff, frustrations about things beyond my control, financial worries, and consistent inconveniences. Anyone else out there? Can I hear an amen? amen. I mean, seriously. Um, the thing is, I'm learning that this is what's called life, 
No one told me that when I was younger, but I know it today. And none of these things were reasons to break my abstinence. They broke my spirit a little, a lot, but they didn't break my abstinence. Throughout this past summer, I felt quite depressed. Um, As I said, I had a health scare, and this feeling of hopelessness, this despair that I was in, was a lesson in self-discovery and a renewal for me. A A renewal that God would again restore me to sanity. See, when I took step two and came to believe, it wasn't one and done. I have to continue doing that every day. And that's pretty much with everything in this program. It's a series of repetition for me. That's what sustains hope. Now, the dictionary defines hope as a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. Deeply wanting and waiting. Wishful thinking. All my life, I had hoped to be thin. Didn't matter how I got there. I just wanted to be thin. And that was my hope. Prior to recovery, I wanted and waited every Friday night on my couch in front of the TV with a stockpile of junk food with the intention of starting on Monday, a new diet. That is not hope. My friends, that's called addiction. And that's where I was at 10 years ago. Addiction is anti-hope. Compulsive overeating, in my experience, and compulsive food behaviors create a sense of self-absorption, shame, self-loathing. We isolate. We use food to cope. We push other people away, including people who could help us in our recovery. We believe that nothing will help. We feel distant from God. And it separates us. And we feel hopeless. Luckily, there's another definition of hope. And the dictionary defines this as a feeling of trust. There's that word again. I have learned in program that there is a close connection between trust and hope. My coming to believe in a power greater than myself was coming to trust that power, coming to understand that power, know that power. And that belief can be really difficult to hold on to when you're sitting in the mire of addiction. But hope is necessary for recovery because willpower is not enough. I'm going to say it again. Willpower is not enough. We can't do this alone. We weren't meant to do this alone. But the requirement to trust a higher power that I couldn't see, feel, taste, smell, I wasn't entirely ready to embrace hope. But I gradually came to believe. And as I said, I began to act as if. 
without hope or a desire to recover and coupled with that trust in God to do for us what we could not do for ourselves, there's no motivation to get better. Thank you. We just stay stuck in addiction. So hope for me was essential to my recovery. It was the energy that drove me to get to meetings, to chase meetings in the same way that I chased my food. I'd go out in a blizzard to get my drug of choice. But it was raining, and I didn't feel like going to a meeting. Mm -mm. Question my motive there. Hope is the proper response to the promises in the big book. Hope teaches me to trust God. And what it did for me is it led me to a place where I'm open and willing to believe in a higher power that is supremely good, that truly loves me, that wants to care for me, that wants to see me healthy, and that brings healing. Today, my hope is linked with putting confidence in or taking refuge in or leaning confidently on this power. It did not happen overnight. And I know some of you are thinking, well, that's really nice, Pollyanna, but I'm truly hopeless. If after this session you'd like to see my album, you'll see that At my heaviest, I weighed nearly 300 pounds, which is a lot of body mass on a five-foot-one frame. And at my thinnest, I wound up in the hospital. I was hopeless, too. But no matter how long you've been in program, if you're sitting out there devoid of all hope for whatever reason, I have good news for you. You have a fellowship around you. You are here this weekend. And... If you remember nothing else from this particular session, I want you to remember these two things. One, your disease is a liar. It will tell you that you are hopeless. It will tell you you cannot trust a higher power. Do not believe this. And the second thing I'd like you to walk away from, well, walk away with from this um, session is that God specializes in hopeless cases. He wants to restore you to sanity and serenity. Please believe that truth and don't quit until the miracle happens. This program will change you for the better if you trust in a power greater than yourself. The theme for this weekend is lighting the way, and hope really does light the way. Remember, you're surrounded by people who have been where you are, and they're able to assist you, so reach out today. Let today be the day that you reach out to your higher power and to others, because beyond the chaos, beyond the insanity, hope can be found. Wrap your arms around the chance to change. And the last thing I'll close with is um, a prayer that was put on my heart. That this weekend can be the start of miracles, regardless of your situation or how long you've been in this program. 
May this weekend be an opportunity for healing and hope for all of you, each of you sitting in this audience and those who are listening to the recording after. No matter how many years you've been in this program. My sincere hope for all of you is that you find freedom from the compulsion of disordered eating, belief in a power greater than yourself, hope that leads you to a level of serenity so that you can withstand whatever comes your way and a life beyond your wildest dreams. Thank you. And now it is my sincere pleasure to introduce Jen. Wow, such a beautiful message. Okay, so uh, would the timer let me know when there's five and then one? So I am Jen, a food addict. Uh, This is an especially meaningful convention for me because 29 years ago, my mom, who had been in program for a while and lost 125 pounds, brought me into program and then went into a multi-decade relapse. And she is here at this convention. So I'll start with my numbers and my history. Uh, One day at a time, I have 29 years and some days of back-to-back abstinence. I eat no sugar, no flour. I weigh and measure three meals a day. And I have a life greater than my wildest dreams. Uh, I did bring some, just a few brief pictures And uh, I thought they were especially appropriate because they speak to this theme. And if I say nothing else uh, that is meaningful today, I want to get across two ideas about step two. And that is that I was insane with food and that... Uh, A higher power is restoring me to sanity one day at a time. And those, to me, are the only real main things we need to get from step two. In step one, we learn that we're powerless. In step two, we learn that there is a power greater than ourselves. And the big book teaches us that our main problem in life is not food. Food is a symptom of a deeper problem, and that deeper problem is a lack of power. And part of that deeper problem is an insanity. Uh, So the pictures I brought with me today, uh, the first one is a page from my college scrapbook. And it, um, I will pass it around, but I'll describe it too. It displays what was going on in my head. So uh, what I wanted to do with my college scrapbook, like many of us, is memorialize the things that were important. So very at the very top of the page, I put diet, because that's, of course, paramount importance. And then right below it, I put a picture of my favorite restaurant in college, 
burger fresh. And because these are the things you want to remember, right? What you ate. And, <laughs> uh, and then down below, there's me and my roommate walking into Burger Fresh. Because again, this is what's most important about the college years. And then right below it, I cut out and said, how to handle any emergency was to go to Burger Fresh. And then down below, here we are, drunk. And so to me, this page of my college scrapbook tells it all. It was a constant alternating between dieting and binging, dieting and binging, and then drinking. So, and again, these were the most important things in my life. This is what I'm going to put a scrapbook page for. Um, and then here, uh, some other pictures. Um, I don't have many pictures at my top weight. I had a, when I came into program, uh, I was young. I wasn't even the legal drinking age. So when my sponsor said no sugar, no flour, no alcohol, um, I had never, and I to this day, have never ordered a drink in a bar because I wasn't of legal drinking age <laughs> when I came into program. And God willing, I never will order a drink in a bar. Uh, I like to say that we all have a certain amount of flour, sugar, and alcohol allotted in life, and I already had mine. And um, so I had a 60-pound weight range, about 45 pounds above my current weight, and about 15 pounds below my current weight. And here's a picture where I'm uh, kind of on the heavy side. And then here's a picture where I am anorexically thin and... The reason I think this picture is very meaningful is that it's a swelteringly hot day and everyone else is walking around in bathing suits. Even though you can see the ribs in my chest, I don't want to take off my skirt because I think I am too fat. And what you'll see is that I'm anorexically thin. So I'll pass those. And another prop that I brought with me is a letter from my doctor, and uh, it is a letter that I asked him to write just to document my medical diagnoses for uh, some sort of insurance purposes. And I thought that he was going to write down just the things I already knew, that I have systemic lupus, which is a disease I've had since I was a little kid, and some things related to that. Uh, instead, he wrote down those things under diagnoses. And then he also wrote down depression and problem of living. And then under current treatment regimen, he wrote all my medications. And then psychiatric counseling and patient education. And I remember at the time being appalled. You know, what? You know, you were only supposed to write down lupus. <laughs> what do you mean I have a problem of living? And, um, you know, that was, uh, that, was, that was me 29 years ago. I had, um, step two says uh, that I was insane. Here, 
I now look at this and realize that my doctor put it very gently when he said that I had a problem of living. And that is how I think about this disease. The food for me is a symptom. It could be anything. It could be alcohol. It could be shopping. It could be any of these symptoms. But I'm a person who grew up without any concept of a power greater than myself. I thought that it all came down to me and that what I had to do was propel myself through life. And it got harder and harder to propel myself through life. Uh, Having lupus um, made it especially hard. And one of the reasons that I now feel some gratitude about having lupus is that it became a catalyst for my disease. It really drove me to deeper levels of addiction and to the point that I really had no life. I would wake up in the morning, start breakfast, and not be able to stop breakfast once I started. And so I would binge through breakfast and then need to lay down. And in my own mind, I thought it was the lupus causing me to need to just stay on the couch for the day Uh, because I could not separate in the mental fog, the insanity that step two talks about, what was the physical effects of lupus and what was just the physical effects of binging on sugar and flour. But that's what I would do. And uh, it didn't matter if it meant I missed class. It didn't matter if I uh, missed things. I got to the point where I would steal my roommate's food in college. And she had a car, so she was able to go to the grocery store and buy stuff. And uh, so she had lots of really good things. I had no car, and so when I ate those things, I had no way to replace them. And it didn't matter, you know, because I had to have them. Um, And all of the shame associated with repeatedly eating those things. And I would start out and I would say things like, oh, I hope you don't mind. You know, of course I won't do that again. Um, But then it got to the point that I absolutely could not abstain from eating her food. And again, absolutely, you know, there was the local campus store where you could buy some things, but I had no way (laughs) to replace those things. Uh, and it went on like that. No matter how much of a life I had, what I always wanted was just to be alone with the food. And uh, I continually thought that that was going to give me what I needed. Much of my life as a kid was as a secret eater. Somehow I... um, I grew up thinking, first of all, that I would try and control it because everyone in my family, all the women in particular, we lived with my grandparents, were very heavy. And I thought, well, I will just diet. And I started dieting at an age I can't even remember. Uh, And what would happen is that I would restrict all day and eat nothing but, you know, crazy diet food in front of others. And then as soon as I was alone, 
binge well into the night for hours and hours. Uh, and when I was with people, that uh, what was always on my mind was what had I eaten? What was I going to eat next? How would I work it off? And when could I be alone with the food? That was my life. And it became a life where no amount was enough. And that is part of the insanity for me. Uh, again, though, I had no concept that there was any power greater than myself. I went to Weight Watchers. I went to nutrition counseling. I did lots and lots of therapy looking for a solution. No concept of a power greater than myself. Uh, it was living that life of desperation that I was what the big book calls beaten into a state of reasonableness. And uh, I love this line here. It's from We Agnostics. Faced with alcoholic destruction, we soon became as open-minded on spiritual matters as we had tried to be on other questions. In this respect, alcohol was a great persuader. It finally beat us into a state of reasonableness. So, uh, when I came in to OA, it was uh, through two things happening. It was my mom starting to bring me to meetings, and it was this doctor who did an intervention with me. Because not only did he write out these diagnoses and say that I had a problem of living, but he actually called me in. And he was just my primary care physician treating me for lupus, he called me in for a series of six sessions where he decided to videotape me, and my assignment was to go back and watch the videotape after each session. And this was his attempt to break through my denial. Because I thought my only problem in life was lupus, and I saw no other problem. Uh... So he called me in for these sessions. Now he saw a person who, at a very young age, already had a 60-pound weight range, which when you're that young is kind of a big weight range. And it's also very problematic to carry even 45 extra pounds when you have lupus on swollen joints, swollen nerves, etc. Uh, so he saw all that. And in one of the sessions where he was videotaping, he said to me a line that I will remember the rest of my life. He said, Jen, fundamentally, I get the feeling from you that you're living a lie. And he was right. I was an overachiever, a straight-A student, and running in charge of lots of different things, you know, because we addicts like to think that we should run everything. And so I was the resident advisor in the dorm. I was the head of lots of organizations. Meanwhile, I would come back to my room, binge like crazy all through the night, and go up and down repeatedly in this 60-pound rate range. And because he saw the wear and tear on my body, because he saw that I had repeated bleeding ulcers, 
because I refuse to stop drinking alcohol on the medicine that you're not allowed to drink alcohol with, uh, he was able to see that fundamentally I was living a lie. So that combination of my mom bringing me to meetings and that intervention kind of hit me (laughs) like a ton of bricks. Still, though, when I came to OA, uh, I still had the insanity. And I thought to myself, isn't it nice that there's a program for people who have 125 pounds to lose? Um, But that's not me. And I'll just keep dieting. Uh, And it wasn't until I was at a meeting and I heard a speaker say, thin is not well. And... She talked about how, for the first time in program, she was able to have peace of mind, where she wasn't constantly thinking, what had I just eaten? What was I going to eat next? How would I work it off? And that, to me, was a novel concept. I didn't know anybody thought about anything else but that. (laughs) Again, I grew up in a family of addicts, and all we talked about was food and uh So that night when I heard that, I became willing to get a sponsor. And I did not want a power greater than myself. I wanted to just have some peace of mind. Uh, And that night, uh, she told me the drill. She told me no sugar, no flour, three way to measure meals a day, get on your knees and pray in the morning, write on step one, read the big book, I went home and binged until about four in the morning. And uh, I believe that that night I said goodbye to what I thought was the power greater than myself, food, the God that I had worshipped. And the next morning I told her, and she said, oh, okay, well, maybe I'll see you at meetings. And I said, nope, I'm, I'm ready to begin now. And that was July 27th, 1989. And one day at a time, I have come to believe in a real power greater than myself. And it started for me in a very basic way with, because uh, again, I had never prayed in my life and I had never wanted to pray. And it started simply with asking God to help me prepare an abstinent meal. And she taught me that all throughout my day, I ask God for help and then I thank God. And for me, that power greater than myself was the group, a group of people in recovery. Today, that power greater than myself is is still something I'm coming to understand, but I believe it is the light in life among all of us. It is the goodness within us. It is, as it says in the big book, the sunlight of the spirit. And each morning, I begin my day in bed, and I wake up in pain, and I ask God to help me get out of bed. And that starts the whole sequence of asking for help and thanking God. And somehow, I don't know how, I feel lifted when I ask for help. And I feel lifted to get out of bed because I know I'm not going to do that alone. And then I take my sponsee calls and I say the third step prayer. And I ask God 
to remove me of the bondage of self so I might be of use in the world. And then that sets me up for the day to continue that connection with God throughout the day. And lo and behold, the byproduct of calling on that power greater than myself is that insanity slips away. And a day at a time, I don't have to reach for the food. And I have gone through a lot of different health challenges. For, for two and a half decades, I took prednisone on a daily basis, which, among other things, increases your appetite. And uh, what I learned is that prednisone doesn't increase your appetite as much as food addiction does. And so... I thought for sure I would gain weight, and I also told my sponsor I was going to need more food. She said, a day at a time, we'll see. She never added more food, and I did not gain weight. And uh, I have remained a size four since I reached my goal weight through many hospitalizations, surgeries, uh, being in wheelchair, walking around in a leg brace for three years, five spinal fractures, Lupus attacks my bones, lots of rib fractures, lots of broken bones, chronic pain. This power greater than myself is so much bigger than I ever imagined. And I'll end by saying this reading from today. God has let me live through all the hazards of my alcoholic, food-addicted life to bring me at last to a place of real usefulness in the world. He has let me live for this. And now, thank you. Okay. Now, uh, We would like to remind OA members who are in other 12-step fellowships to speak only to your personal recovery as an OA member. This workshop will end at 10.45. We will now open the floor for three-minute pitches. The timer will signal you when you have one minute left. If you would like to share, come to the front of the room and form a line to the right. You must sign the release form before you speak. Step up to the microphone and introduce yourself. Tell where you are from and how long you've been in OA. We would like to remind OA members who are in other fellowships to speak only to your personal recovery in OA. Please stick to the topic of this meeting for those who arrived late. The topic of this workshop is step two. The meeting is now open for sharing. Hi, my name is Al Marie. I'm from Long Island. I'm going to time myself. Um, uh, I can't thank the both of you enough. What a, a strong message, a beautiful message. And I, rem- I came crawling back. I've been uh, trying OA for about 19 years, and I know it's 19 years because my daughter will be 20 soon. And what brought me in was her um, birthday cake. I threw it away because I didn't, you know, I wasn't going to eat sugar anymore. And I was in the garbage that night finishing it. So that's what brought me to the rooms 19 years ago. But I knew better. I, you know, I just, I came from another fellowship. So I 
came in, lost 20 pounds, and left. Um, but when I came back this time, I came crawling back. I, I was just beaten of spirit, of life, of everything. And that was eight years and eight months ago. Um, and my sponsor, uh, step one, I, had, I knew I was powerless. I was so grateful I had a disease. She said, it's time to read step two. I said, I don't need step two. I, I, I got it. She goes, no, I think you should read it. And I read it, and I started to read, and it said, um, "Do you yell at your? Do you yell in your family? Is there depression in your house?" And I'm, I'm answering yes to everything, and I'm like, "Well, I yell at my kids, but I don't beat them." There was, you know, when I grew up, that's how that's how we were taught. So that's a good thing, right? No. And um, I remember my daughter's friend. She came home from school. Uh, she came home from school with a friend, and she said, "Why is your mother on the couch?" Because that's where I lived. I would get, put myself into a food coma and watch reruns of Law and Order, and that was my life. I would get up at three if I had to get them off the bus and bring them in and do whatever I had to do, drive them wherever, and um, go back on the sofa. And that that was my life until until I came into this rooms. And hope I and I I just didn't believe in God because I was praying to Him and He wasn't answering. But my prayers were. God, please let me stop eating. Please, I can't do this anymore. Please help me stop eating. But what I was really saying is, God, please just let me eat whatever I want and just wake up thin. And that didn't happen. But God did hear me because he brought me back into these rooms. And um, what I saw was the hope in your eyes. And that's what I took away from. And that's what I got today, just the hope in the message. And this is my first convention because now I'm an empty nester. So I get to, like, come up here and... Um, live live my life again and with the help of you guys one day at a time and um to help me be open and willing and even you know just just to to hear oh i have 13 seconds um just to hear the message so strong and so beautiful in these rooms that we all have and um just living this with this disease one day at a time i could arrest it and thank you there's my time Hi, my name is Liz. I'm a compulsive eater, and I'm from Rhode Island. Hi, Liz. Um, first, I want to thank our amazing speakers because I was taking notes, and um, I found a lot of inspiration in what I heard, and I, I appreciate very much those shares, um, and that extends to Pat for her keynote last night. Thank you. Um, I, I related very much to what I was hearing. I, I've been in program 16 years, and I've had periods of abstinence and periods of relapse, and I'm coming out of relapse. I will say, however, that the the thing that made me identify particularly with you, Jen, is um, that several years ago I was diagnosed with lymphedema. And I have to say that I spent four years going from doctor to doctor saying, why am I swelling up? Because at that point I was abstinent and I didn't really understand. I knew menopause would cause weight gain. Hello. Um, but I couldn't figure out the rest of it. And I finally persuaded my doctor to send me to the lymphedema clinic, at which point the clinician looked at me and said, of course, I can see exactly what you're talking about. And because it wasn't triggered by cancer, it was triggered by bunion surgery, nobody was paying attention, nobody was looking for it. And so I now have to spend a lot of time managing that in ways that 
I, I can sometimes be resentful for because I'd like to be doing other things with the time. I would like to not have to have a chronic condition. I would like to find a cure. A cure doesn't exist. It's treated and it's managed. It's not cured. So all of these things go on. And um, along the way, I lost my abstinence. I've had to reclaim it. And it's been hard in particular the last few months because I'm it's a work-related thing, but I'm working in one place and living in another, and every few days I'm back and forth, and it interrupts meeting schedules. It's 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 very convoluted for the time being, and that will last a couple more months, and I'm actually pushing really hard because I would rather not work and be home and on a routine again than actually going through this right now. So Thank you. I will um, I will wrap up by just saying... Along the way, the one thing that has never happened, thank you, God, is I have never lost hope. I have never strayed from meetings in 16 years. Sometimes I don't get there as often as I want to. Sometimes I substitute with a phone meeting. I have a sponsor. I've been fired by a sponsor. I have the fabulous sponsor again. I've had program people in my life and all around me. And I remember and I'm reminded all the time that the program is there for me. I plug into it. Or I don't. It's like an electrical socket, right? I can plug in or not plug in. And today, and with these reminders, I choose to plug in in a big way. Like, it's a big plug today. It's a really big plug, so I'm grateful. Thank you. Hi, I'm Carol, and I'm a food addict from New York. I uh, felt that I needed to share because I'm an isolator. But after hearing what was said today, I, I feel utterly speechless, and I'm worried that I won't be able to get the words out. Um, I can't believe what I heard today, and I'm just, I'm so moved. Um, so, because the time is so short, let me try to say what I want to say. Um, I'm so brain fried in a, in a really good way. Um, so, step one was really easy for me. Step two was a huge relief to me. If God can restore me to sanity, then there's hope. Um, I'm so bad with dates. I had to use my calculator to figure out when I came to recovery. And um, so I did that. And um, it came out to November 12, 2006. Um, I, I know my birthday. That's 1968. So that makes me 50, which is really weird. And I know my date of my marriage, uh, December 1st, 1988 which makes me married nearly 30 years. That's weird, too. Um, so there's been so many challenges, and step two is what's really kept me alive. I get on my knees once, twice, three times a day. Um, I take every opportunity to get on my knees. And step two, restoring me to sanity, is not just about my food. Um, I have a 15-year-old transgender child, and it's just, it's just so excruciating. And the serenity prayer just keeps coming over and over and over. What can I do for this child to help support him? Um, and what am I powerless over? And I just have to keep asking God to guide me into um, just being the best mother I can be, um, knowing that I'm completely powerless. Um, so this child also has a disease, and um, which requires once a month IV infusions at the hospital. And as soon as he's asleep, because they put him to sleep, um, I go downstairs to the chapel, get on my knees. And that's another opportunity. 
um, I just keep finding opportunities to get on my knees. The quiet room that we have here is wonderful. Um, and one other thing about hope, um, 30 years of marriage, you know, was a, a lot of, a lot of stuff, a big journey. And, um, my husband's work, uh, situation changed last month and he said, we're going to have Starbucks dates. And I couldn't believe it. And two weeks ago we had a Starbucks date and I was felt so awkward. It was really weird. And then last week we had our second Starbucks date and I calmed down. It was just wonderful. And he said to me a couple of days ago, I'm so in love with you. I feel like we're newlyweds. I looked at him and I said, yeah. He said, what's next? Phone sex? And um, so I just uh, keep asking God to uh, keep me sane. Thank you. We have five more minutes for anyone that wants to share. Otherwise, there'll be silence on this recording. So don't be shy. Come on up. Hi, I'm Ruth F. from Somerville, Massachusetts. I'm a compulsive overeater and food addict. And uh, this is my first convention. Um, it's really good to be here. Thank you. Thank you so much. And um, I, too, you know, step one, I knew I was powerless for a long time. Um, but I had no idea that there was a higher power that could help. I had no idea about any of the other steps. But I thought, you know, because I thought every thought there was to think. I read all the diet books. I read the hardcover, full edition, cover to cover. So I, you know, I studied intellectually the problem. I studied the diet books, the calorie counters. I had, you know, notebooks and things every place. Like, um, I tried things like wear a tight waistband because that will remind you that you're fat. Or wear a loose waistband because then you'll feel better about yourself and you won't eat. Whatever. So I thought I had all the different possibilities of way to, ways to control this. And um, thank God I stopped trying when I found someone. Um, I came into this program for the first time in 1979. Um, I was 29. Um, and I stayed for nine years and then I left because a friend and I thought we knew our, we, now we, we got it. We, you know, we had a disease, but we could handle it. But, um, luckily that didn't last too long. It lasted for seven years. And, um, it wasn't even the weight that brought me back. Although I did gain weight, it was the insanity, you know? And so today having a higher power and developing a, a, a sense of that through, um, also working the big book step study process. And, you know, I had an amazing experience in the last couple of days of just turning something over in my head and then to a fellow program person and to a sponsor. It wasn't food exa exactly, but just something that was really troubling me. And I was trying hard to figure it out. And when I find myself rerunning the same thoughts and the same things so many times, it's like, maybe I, maybe I don't have the answer to this. You know, maybe I need to ask for help. And, you know, it worked. It worked so well because the 
it was just lifted. So, you know, it just was like a big burden off me. And then I think, duh, why don't I think more often, you know, how many times a day that I need to remember I, I'm not running the show and life is so much better when I don't. Um, I've had my crack at it and, you know, I didn't do all that well. So I'm really grateful. I, I too, um, I weigh and measure three meals a day. I don't eat anything in between. I don't eat flour and sugar. And um, I go to meetings and I write and I, you know, listen and talk and call people all the tools. I have a food plan. I have disciplines around my food. And that's the bottom line for me that opens me up to all the rest of it. So thank you all. We are just upon quarter of, so if there are no burning desires, we will close. I want to thank everyone who attended this workshop. If you want to stand, we'll close with the serenity prayer. God, grant us serenity to accept the things we cannot change, courage to change the things we can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Keep coming. Thank you, everyone.